and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to be talking about uh, China-South Africa relations because it's been a while since we've been in your neck of the woods there in South Africa, and there's been a lot that's been happening over the past few months and years uh, since we've last kind of touched on this. Kobus, I would actually say that of all of China's relationships in Africa, this is undoubtedly one of the more unusual ones, and it happens in, in a number of different extremes. So I'll start with the positives, then give a couple of the negatives and get your feedback before we kind of dive into this. For those of you not familiar with kind of what the status quo is, China is now South Africa's largest trading partner. Chinese invest more in South Africa than anywhere else in Africa. It's the largest Chinese population in Africa. And I guess, you know, what's been interesting is just in June of this year, South Africa came out in support of the Chinese in the South China Sea standoff with a number of other Southeast Asian countries and the United States over the freedom of navigation. And this really relates to something that is very, very serious here in Southeast Asia, but far away from what's been going on in Africa. And it really in many ways shows the ideological shift that South Africa and Pretoria have made away from the West towards China in many ways. But Kobus, the reason why this seems such so unusual is that you know, the popularity of the Chinese in or Chinese culture and Chinese politics and all of this is nowhere near as high as it should be given the importance of this relationship. And yet at the same time, Jacob Zuma, the president of South Africa himself, said that the relationship between China and South Africa in its current form is unsustainable. His word, not mine. So you take into account the unpopularity of the Chinese and Zuma's own words. And Kobus, where does that leave us? Well, in the first place, I tend to to not take that that uh, unsustainable quote as seriously as lots of other people do, because you know he, he said it once. It, I, I don't think it, it necessarily informed any kind of policy making or you know on high level decision making, and it's since then been quoted endlessly. So it's this one quote that that is just essentially like replicated itself across the internet. Um, I don't know that that the idea that it's unsustainable in whether you know kind of whether that really informs any kind of um, real opinion in the ruling party. What seems what seems to be more the case is that there is a very close an organic uh, connection between the ruling African National Congress Party and the, the Chinese Communist Party. They seem to be speaking the same language. They are very, very close. They're increasingly getting closer. Um, and I think that's really where it lies. So, so that actually answers the issue of the, the, the popularity of China among South Africa as well. Because, you know, to a certain extent, it doesn't really matter what South Africans think of it because the, party, the parties are really close. Okay. Well, let's get a different perspective on this. And uh, for that, we're going to go to Cape Town, South Africa, Cobus, your old neck of the woods there. And we're joined by Alison Bradley. Alison just had a paper published, China and South Africa, Emerging Powers in an Uncomfortable Embrace. It was published in the June edition of the Journal of Contemporary China. And we are thrilled to have you on the show. Uh, it th sounds like you're in the kitchen there, Alison. <laughs> no, not quite in the kitchen. Um, apologies for any background noise. No worries um, But thanks for having, uh, thanks very much for having me on the show. And um, it's a pleasure to be chatting with both of you about this important topic. Fantastic. Well, let me just give a little context to the paper that you wrote, a very interesting paper, which I'm not sure is available to the public because it's one of those Taylor and Francis kind of behind the paywall academic things. But 
uh, if people have a chance to check it out. Uh, you wrote this as your master's thesis at the Elliott School of International Affairs at George Washington University. You wrote it a couple of years ago, just got published now. Um, you said that it's an uncomfortable embrace, and I described it as awkward. Uh, Cobus kind of talks about it in kind of very complex terms as well. Why? Give us your take on why you think this is such an uncomfortable embrace, given the importance that now China is or has for South Africa. Yeah, I think it's very much an awkward embrace. Um, and I, I think it's very much attributed to South Africa going through a bit of an identity crisis. Nelson Mandela, who was uh, the first um, post-apartheid president of this country, uh, really you know, set South Africa up to be uh, a country that followed democratic ideals, a country that stood up for human rights, and a country that promoted um, African growth and unity um, above any other foreign interest. And ever since um, 1994, when um, Nelson Mandela really set forth this vision, uh, I think that much of this um, idea has been eroded. And the ANC, as you said, um, has really coupled ideologically with um, the Chinese Communist Party and has sort of assessed the, the landscape and made a strategic decision um, based on uh, economic reasons and based on sort of South-South partnerships that they're going to really follow the lead of China. Um, and there are sort of multiple complex reasons behind it. Um, the Chinese have sort of taken South Africa into the fold um, in an emerging, emerging power group called the BRICS, um, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and now South Africa, which is a, a tiny little player in comparison to the other powers. But China really sort of brought them in um, as a way of, of lending them an a ideological hand um, and giving them the power to punch above their weight um, much more than, than they deserve. So I think that where this current government um, is leading the country is very much at odds with um, how it was set up uh, at the start of its, um, you know, the, the new South Africa. And I think that there, there are competing factions here um, that really disagree with the direction that it's being taken. Um, but the ANC um, is calling China as South Africa's most important strategic ally um, and saying that the Chinese economy is a new dawn of hope for further possibilities of a new world order. So you can just see in a, in a very short amount of time, um, there are two strands of, of um, policy and two strands of public opinion that are, are sort of pulling this country in two separate directions. So I, I think it's very uncomfortable, and I think that it's an emerging issue and one that's yet to be really resolved and to figure out where this is all going. I think, you know, kind of it's also, it, it can also be unpacked to a certain extent that there is, there's two different strains happening here in within the ANC. One one being an, an explicitly pro-China stance um, and the other being an anti-Western stance. And I think, you know, kind of the, the two, the two tend to back each other up. Um, I think in, in relation to, obviously, you know, kind of from the 90s, uh, the ANC was very closely aligned with, with Western countries, and traditionally South Africa has been economically very closely aligned with the UK and the US. Um, but there's also, I think there's a long, you know, the, the ANC has long institutional memory, and they, you know, no one in the ANC has forgotten the support 
of for, support for apartheid that came out of the US and the UK, you know, kind of during the 70s and 80s. Uh, particularly, I mean, you know, not not to diminish, not to take anything away of the from the anti-apartheid movements in those countries, which were very powerful. But the but the UK and US governments under Reagan and Thatcher were explicit supporters of it right until the end. So I think that, you know, that that has contributed to it. Um, and then, you know, I think also the ANC tends to see China as this kind of alternative way of developing your economy while maintaining uh, party structures, you know, kind of not, not kind of, um, yeah. you know, not breaking, not weakening the party structure, but, but in a way kind of like a, a way of, of not only concentrating power within the party, but also then growing the economy through doing that at the same time. I think that that's part of where, of where that appeal of China lies in the ANC. And Kobus, you bring up this really interesting point, how much of this is rooted in ANC politics. And I think people have to understand that the Sino-South African relationship in its current form is less than 20 years old. This all started with Nelson Mandela when he switched allegiances from Taiwan to China uh, just 18 years ago. So it's happened very, very quickly. Alison, I guess my question for you is that, you know, allying themselves the way they have with China is, is very, very risky in many respects, in part because China's own economic rise, and you yourself have a very considerable background in China, um, is now entering a different phase of its development, one that is very, very uncertain economically. And the Chinese have shown there's a dramatic drop-off now in Africa of foreign investment. The Chinese economy itself is slowing as it transitions from a manufacturing economy into a more services consumption-led economy. And so there's a lot of economic risk for South Africa to be so aligned with one country as opposed to, say, with Europe, which is 28 countries, or with an economy like the United States, which is far more mature and diverse in many respects than China's. So it's a gamble that the South Africans have taken in terms of, of kind of placing all their chips uh, in, in, on, 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 on the Chinese square. Do you think that is a risk that was reasonable and worth taking, or is this you know, kind of somewhat crazy? Uh, you know, I think that for decades now, the you know global order, we've been watching the Chinese economy grow and everyone's been waiting for it to bust. And there's, there's been theory after theory of exactly when um, this bust is going to happen. And I, I, I think probably similar to many um, Chinese strategic allies, there was concern over the recent um, stumble that's happened in China um, and probably some conversations that are happening about how to diversify the interests. But I think the economic landscape across the board is fairly shaky. China holds a stellar track record that the ANC is extremely impressed in in terms of turning its economy from you know, a, a failing um, manufacturing uh, economy into one that's really driving a lot of the global economic growth. And so I think probably the ANC is still looking at this saying, I think this is the star we really should hitch our rise to. We have a 25% um, unemployment problem in South Africa, and that's just the real economic um, unemployment rate. And the actual one is more like 35%. And there's so somewhat something like 6 in 10 youth in South Africa who are unemployed. And China has a, they have a recipe, they have um, a formula, and, and they have a success story that I think South Africa is probably eyeing um, with somewhat, uh, you know, that that's something that they would like to replicate here in South Africa. And I very much agree with Quobus that 
um, you know, they, they're looking at this model of um, economic freedom, economic growth, and economic success with political control, which is something that, you know, the ANC is increasingly um, starting to worry about. Uh, this notion that, you know, the South Africans should all support the ANC because it was the party of, of Nelson Mandela um, is something that's losing some of the appeal. And so how China has been able to balance um, you know, the growth for their citizens and um, jobs and opportunity with, um, you know, very tight political control is something that I, I, I think would very much um, be of, of the interest of the current government here in South Africa. Uh, and if you just look at current trends, you know, China and South Africa just went in together on a UN resolution about, you know, internet control um, that, you know, in a time of crisis, it's up to the sovereign nation to be able to determine whether or not um, they can shut their internet off for their citizens. And so you're, you're just looking at strategic interests and strategic um, strategies of uh, simultaneously improve, improving the lot and sort of winning the favor of your citizens while also, um, you know, perhaps exerting some control over them that... Um, you know, that your citizens might not be interested in, too. Yeah. Kobus, Co- uh, let me just pick up on what Allison's saying here, which is this kind of perfect alignment in many ways on an ideological level between the ANC and the Communist Party in China. And, and then kind of talk about this in terms of South African public opinion. Um, I was in Johannesburg last fall. You and I were there together. You talked to pretty much anybody on the street, and there is a lot of suspicion, hostility, doubt, or ignorance about the Chinese. And that surprised me in part because, again, given the importance to the overall economy and given the importance to the party and to the country, um, I would have thought that there would have been at least a little more awareness. But yet there seems to be this very big valley between what the ANC thinks and what the people think. Now, I don't have any data to back up that China's not very popular among the people. But it's pretty obvious when you see the protests against teaching Mandarin in the schools, when you see some of the xenophobic riots that happened a couple years ago where Chinese weren't necessarily the focus, but among those targeted. Um, There is a sense in some ways that there's at least apprehension that that South Africa is getting very close to China. Talk to us a little bit about that gulf between the party and the public. Um, one of the one of the differences, one of the difficulties about this around this issue is that the South Africa isn't one public. Um, it, it's it's a bunch of different different kind of fractured publics, all all speaking in different ways um, and all commenting on on. China, South Africa issues in different ways. So the people who are protesting against Chinese shopkeepers um, in you know, in townships in, in the last xenophobic uh, violence outbreak, they're not the same people who, people who are complaining about the teaching of Mandarin um, on social media. Those are those are two different publics in South Africa, and you know, kind of. So you you see some of the most vocal people who who are like the most vocally anti-Chinese people in on South African social media, and are also frequently the people who are actually in South African conventional media, they are a, a liberal group of uh, kind of quite cosmopolitan but but frequently quite white kind of group of, of people who are worried about the direction the the ANC is going in, and they are traditionally very, very closely affiliated with the West. So those, like some debates driven in that direction, include concerns about poaching, for example, and concerns about about uh, the export of of. And, 
smuggling of ivory and rhino horn to, to, to China. So I've done research about that as a kind of a way of white South Africans expressing their, their uh, discomfort with the ANC. Um, so the, the, they are quite a kind of a different group than the people who would be um, – who would be protesting in the street against against foreign shopkeepers, um, and those 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 publics tend to protest in different kind of ways. Um, so I think that that is a complication in, in, in the in the in the relationship. Um, and I think what 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 the the de facto situation is is that the government pursues um, you know kind of its interests and. And the party pursues its interests on a very high level. And then you have this kind of fractured and diffuse kind of reaction from the people. Um, and sometimes it erupts in, in, in kind of violent ways. And sometimes it's it's mostly con, con, contained to media. But I think what the, 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 the theme, not to gas on too long, but the, the theme that, um, that, that runs through all of them is very frequently China is used as a kind of a proxy for, for what, this, what the party is doing in South Africa. So you, you see in a lot of discourse around, uh, around the teaching of Mandarin, for example, around poaching, around um, trade, this kind of thing of that the ANC is selling us out. The ANC, we can't trust the ANC anymore because they're so closely aligned with China. So that isn't necessarily anti-Chinese protests. It's more where China is essentially used as a stick mm-hmm. to, to beat the ANC with or to express misgivings about, about the, to which extent the ANC is still loyal to people in South Africa. Well, interesting. Alison, you wrote about this in your paper where you said, you know, uh, one of the concerns that runs through South African, at least the political society, is this idea that the Chinese Communist Party is actually funding the ANC. And that would be a line that's too far for many to cross because that really impinges on national sovereignty. So, you know, what about these kind of concerns that China may be actually, you know, going too far? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think that it's sort of unsubstantiated and unproven, um, but there are allegations that the ANC is receiving money for their campaigns, um, and that, as you say, is just it's it's too much for the average South African to handle. Um, There are also various um, things, such as you know the the blocking of. Um, the Dalai Lama from receiving a visit to come to South Africa, um, where this liberal faction that Quobus is describing, um, in, in, you know, finds that outrageous. The fact that um, you know our, our finance minister here in South Africa at the time said that you know really for him to come and make a big political statement against China is just a little too much. You know, we can't handle that problem and. Many here in South Africa are looking at that situation and they're saying, you know, this is undermining our democracy. This is undermining our political freedom. And there's a foreign power um, that is influencing us in a way that makes us feel uncomfortable. Um, I, I second the point that Clovis made about the, the very different populations here in South Africa. But um, I think that those who are, you know, reading the news and, you know, staying up to date with the political affairs, um, find, find that to be extremely uncomfortable. But the other way that China and South Africa are politically uh, getting in bed is um, on the African continent. So I think South Africa very much sees itself as sort of a leader, leader and a driving force um, here in Africa. And they're sharing... Um, you know, a chairmanship of the AU, the African Union, 
um, and the Forum on um, China-Africa Cooperation with China. And they're sort of trying to finagle a position where Chinese investment is coming through South Africa to the larger African continent, and that South Africa remains in charge with China sort of financing um, much of the infrastructure and much of the, the trade deals that are going here. So I think that in that way, um, that's something that probably your average South African is not tracking um, very closely. It's a little bit um, more strategic and um, possibly a, a smarter political alignment um, than ha the ANC allowing um, the Communist Party of China to directly meddle in what is seen as internal affairs. Um, and it's unusual, this particular situation, this awkward uh, dance that the two countries are doing, precisely because in very recent history, um, you know, our, a president of this country that led the movement um, to take this country to a post-apartheid situation stood for exactly what the Chinese influence is countering at this moment in time. Um, so I think it's of distinct concern and, and you know, needs to be watched closely in terms of which direction the, the leaders here will decide to go. Yeah, you talked about the, what the average person is aware of. And, you know, I don't think the average South African, and I don't mean to sound condescending here at all, but I don't think that the average person has any idea how inextricably linked the South African and Chinese economies are. When you look at the value of the JSE, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, it is so closely tied to economic data in China. Uh, when you look at the value of the RAND, same thing. It's, it's that, it, you know, something happens in China and the RAND moves. So the day-to-day -day economic reality for, for most South Africans in so many ways is tied to what goes on, you know, uh, you know uh, all the way on the other side of the world in China. And it really kind of highlights this bond that they're there. But it is, again, as you talked about, uncomfortable and, you know, awkward. Let's look forward a little bit for the next, say, three to five years. You know, we're not sure if Jacob Zuma, who's facing an enormous amount of political opposition and a lot of problems uh, in South Africa today, will be in office. Uh, but um, the relationship will no doubt continue between China and South Africa. Allison, what's your forecast in the near term and the longer term? You know, my feeling is that I, I think that the ANC has made a strategic decision to stay close to the Chinese Communist Party. And as long as the two powers um, remain, which, you know, I, there are often calls of uh, dissent on, for both parties to uh, be voted out of power, but, or to go out of power, I should say. Um, but I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. So my guess is if you were to look five years ahead of time, There'll be significantly more um, challenges between the two countries, significantly more problems um, between the two countries, possibly a heightening um, of awareness in the South African population. But I think that we've gotten to the point, um, it's a comprehensive strategic relationship. The Chinese see the South Africans as a very advantageous ally here on the African continent, um, not only for investment purposes and for their larger trade agenda, but also ideologically. I think that the ANC um, is very much in bed with this notion of South-South um, alignment and um, countries sort of standing up for their own rights and their own principles, um, you know, against powers like the United States. And I, I think that the, this is going to um, increasingly uh, solidify as a strategic relationship between the two parties. Now, what the South African 
um, population and political op opposition ha um, has to counter that is yet to be seen. Um, but I, I just don't, I don't see a reorientation at this point because I, I think that it's, it's become very clear that the two countries can offer each other more than South Africa can get from the established Western powers. You know, Kobus, it's so interesting to hear what Allison says because, you know, speaking as an American, I grew up, uh, you know, with South Africa being, you know, having a very special relationship with the United States during the apartheid era. Obviously, Ronald Reagan uh, and, and, and supported, or not really supported, but they didn't necessarily oppose the government only until the end. And then uh, under Mandela, he was in many ways kind of a, a hero of the United States. You know, he, he, he resonated. He understood American pop culture. He played American politics very, very well every time he came to Washington. And it seemed like there was this kind of special relationship between South Africa and the United States. And yet now in the Zuma era, uh, it has just turned 180 degrees. And not only is it that they've aligned themselves more with China, but there's actual rebuff of American positions, uh, you know, in the South China Sea, at the UN on internet issues, with the International Criminal Court over Sudan. I mean, the list of, of kind of challenges to, a, to standing American policy is very, very long. Um, it, it just, you know, so I guess when you look now into your kind of magic eight ball and, and look to the future, where do you see that relationship with China going and, and how does the U.S. fit into that? It's a, it's a very quite interesting issue because, you know, the, one, of, one of the paradoxes of, of China-South Africa relations is that, the, as you said, you know, the, the, the two are very closely aligned politically and economically, but culturally they're still far, quite far away from each other. Um, and, you know, kind of that gap is, you know, it, 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 it's, it works the opposite way in, in the relationship with, with the U.S. In, in the sense that culturally they're very closely aligned and politically and to a certain extent economically they, they seem to be drifting further apart. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see whether the culture is going to catch up with any of those two, you know, kind of structural realities. Um, and I think the the one of the interesting players in, in, in that question is going to be South African conglomerates and especially South African media conglomerates. So, so South African media conglomerates are... are Particularly, are, are very influential in, in funneling American culture into into South Africa and into the rest of Africa, and this is particularly the the behemoth Nasbash, which is very like they make a lot of money in you know kind of beaming stuff like Empire and Orange is the New Black and so on to to the African continent, and at the same time they themselves are very heavily invested in Chinese media, and so you increasingly seeing that they are pushing, you know, kind of some of the products developed by their Chinese corporate partners are in, into the African market. So WeChat, for example, which is which is owned by Tencent, which mm -hmm. is, um, which is you know, in which Naspash is heavily invested, is aggressively promoted throughout the African continent by Naspash. And yet you would see situations where you where people would use WeChat as a, as a, a kind of a mechanism in which to make, to vote on, American cultural properties. Um, so it's this very kind of interesting thing to see whether there's going to be a, a you know a, a shift of more Chinese culture into into the relationship, and whether whether it's because it seems to me quite in like a quite unsustainable position. You know, kind of to be so distant from the U.S. politically and economically, and yet so closely aligned culturally. Yeah. So I think you know kind of we might in the next. 
decades see that starting to flip and naturalize. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to I imagine. I think also... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to add to that point is that the other thing is, is that I think if you were to go to the Chinese and you were to say, okay, where's your strategic, your most strategic interest, I think the Chinese would very much hew to the United States. I mean, they, they have a very strong interest in deepening that economic relationship, improving their political ties. The consequences for the U.S.-Chinese relationship are much grander than they are for the Chinese-South African relationship. So, you know, I think we're talking a little bit about, you know, a, a mini player and a mega player um, and, you know, which one would the mini prefer. Um, and, you know, the Chinese see the advantages here in South Africa, but if on the strategic playing field, um, there are much larger stakes. Um, so this cultural affi- affiliation and the political uh, deepening of ties, I, I, you know, I, I think you probably have a, a, a much stronger priority um, in the Chinese Foreign Service for, for the United States uh, than you do for South Africa, despite the fact that, you know, this is a, a very convenient strategic relationship for them. The article is China and South Africa Emerging Powers in an Uncomfortable Embrace. If you happen to work at a university or some kind of think tank, it's in the June edition of the Journal of Contemporary China. Usually those academic journals, guys, are extraordinarily expensive, right? Yes. Yes, okay. Expensive. So normal people whole, can't get them. Freaked out. Do you, is it, economy, that. It's a weird economy. But Allison, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Hopefully it'll be published in some kind of form that everybody else can read besides the, uh, the pointy-head academics. But we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate chatting with you both about this important topic. And I'll see what I can do about uh, mainstreaming some of these ideas for a broader audience. That would be good. We really appreciate that. And Kobus, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to Facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show or follow China Africa News that's updated every four hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadenesk or Eric at Eolander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Subscribe to the China Africa podcast on iTunes or download the mobile apps for iOS, Android, or Windows Phone. Just head over to your favorite store and search for China Africa.